Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. But we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1 in just a moment. Hopefully I don't uh, completely forget everything because I don't have my slides, right? All right, so just pray for me in that sense. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1, man, this book, okay, I'm telling you, as I've been studying the book of Ephesians the past few months and preparing for our theme for the year and for this series that we're going to be going through the next few months, uh, this book, it is so jam-packed, full uh, of wonderful truths. In fact, the more I study it, the more I think I could take one verse a week, really, and preach it out over the next 165 weeks. Uh, we're not going to do that, but uh, we, we could, I feel like, go through it that in depth. There's so much uh, truth just into this book, uh, and we're going to try to cover a lot of it in the next five or six months. And so because of that, uh, that, that means that none of the messages are necessarily going to be fully exhaustive in the sense of everything that we could cover, I'm going to cover, that's not going to take place. Uh, Else we would be in it for over three years, 165 or so messages. Uh, But we're not going to. We're going to cover it in about five or six weeks. But that... It also means each and every week there are going to be some things that we dive into that are deep, all right? And so even in the next few months, uh, if you're not normally a note taker, uh, I'd even maybe suggest becoming a note taker. If you are a note taker, be ready uh, because there are just some things that you got to dive into to fully understand context and uh, what Paul is writing and who he's writing to and all of those things that will help us to uh, really fully meditate on and grow in the gospel itself, all right? And so uh, I I do encourage, take notes that you can meditate on later or go back and listen to messages again. Uh, If you uh, come to a point in some of the, especially today, one that will unpack some deep theological truths that, that kind of, in some senses, go right over your head, that's okay, they do mine as well, all right? I'm just saying there are some deep and awesome truths, though, in Scripture that we're going to need to unpack. And, uh, and so uh, as we do it, I, I want us to always, though, come back to this, that although a lot of these verses, especially in this first series, Gospel Identity, chapters 1 through 3, although they have a lot of theological and doctrinal implications, uh, they also have practical implications for us each and every day, the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about other people, the way we see ourselves in light of how God sees us and the way that that can be lived out amongst our families and our coworkers and all of that. It it has practical implications to us. And so we're always going to come back to that uh, really in every message. But, uh, But the great thing, uh, uh, that, and really, that's one of the great things about the Word of God is I, I love how Paul wrote it in, uh, se- yeah, 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, when he says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, which we're going to dive into, but it's also good for reproof that's telling us where we're wrong, correction that's telling us what is right, and then for instruction in righteousness. That's how to do what is right, all right? And so as we unpack the truths uh, of doctrine, we're going to see that it's also the word of God, as Paul said to Timothy, is profitable for us, good for us in the area of instruction in how to live uh, in and amongst people because of these doctrinal and theological truths, all right? So everybody ready? 
All right, let's dive into Ephesians chapter number one. I'm going to read the first six verses, and then we're going to pray and uh, dive into the message for this morning. The Bible says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved." I don't know if you notice, that's all one sentence in English, all right? What's crazy is verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek is one sentence. There are so, these kinds of truths, this, this is just kind of a side note, these kinds of truths, they'll put you in full run-on sentence mode like they did with Paul. Man, blessed be the God of our Father and go farther and farther. You just can't, you just can't stop when you really start to dive into these truths. And I want us to see that as we unpack it this morning. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day again and for the opportunity that we have now to be in your word. It's a living book, a, a book that has implications for us, not just in ideological ways, Lord, and how we think about ourselves and how we think about you, but Lord, it, it has practical implications for us, even this morning as we try to live out the gospel in each and every facet of our lives. And so God, we pray that as we dive into it this morning, would you help us to have open hearts and minds to receive from you exactly that which you would have for us to learn and to live by. And I pray, God, that you would uh, just correct us where we need correcting. Lord, uh, help us and encourage us where we need encouragement. And Lord, would you just use your word now in a way that only you can to speak and direct, speak to and direct our hearts. Uh, Lord, we love you. We ask you uh, to keep us safe as we've gathered together. And Lord, keep us focused on who you are and what you have for us in your word. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I heard this wonderful illustrative introduction to the book of Ephesians uh, from a pastor friend named Josh. He pastors down in uh, Las Vegas, and, uh, and I, I just couldn't not share it, okay? So I want you to imagine with me that after church this morning, you uh, go home, all right? You head to your house, and you decide as you're going to your house that you're going to check the mail because the snow has uh, made it to where you couldn't check your mail the past few days, all right? You go to check the mail, you get it, you get into the house, and there's a lot of normal stuff in there. There's the flyers, there's the advertisements, there's the bills, all of that. But then as you're unpacking all of uh, your, uh, your mail, you end up finding a letter, okay? It, you find a letter that's just stuck in the mail, and you look at it, and you're a little bit concerned because it's from an attorney's office, and you're thinking, oh no, how did they find out? No, I'm just kidding. You're, you're thinking, uh, what, what could this be about? It's an attorney's office. Like, what did I do? What, what could they be saying? Anything like that. And what you don't even know prior to opening the letter is that the contents of this letter will completely and utterly change the way you view yourself and the way you view your life forever. It will. And so you go ahead, though, and you open it up, and you see what's inside the letter, and as you open the letter, you end up seeing these words, and it makes your mind race. These words, our sincere condolences on your recent loss. 
And you start going crazy through your mind, like, what, I just talked to grandma yesterday, mom and dad are okay, okay, you start trying to think, who, who could this be? Recent loss, what is it talking about? And then you continue the letter and it says this, but, so our sincere condolences on your recent loss, but we need to speak with you immediately regarding your inheritance. And first of all, you are, have mixed emotions. You're trying to act sad because someone you know just passed away, but at the same time, like, you know, you could be rich, right? <laughs> I mean, inheritance, what? Okay, uh, what, what's this about? And you're a little suspicious because there's so many scams out there today, right? People trying to do things. And so you call the attorney's office and you actually find out this is a real deal and they're going to fly you out to Washington, D.C. for a specific meeting. Why Washington, D.C.? Because you have to go to headquarters. Headquarters of what? Well, you get into a plane and you start to fly all the way to D.C. When you get to D.C., you get out of your plane, you start walking down the terminal, and you see a guy with a sign. He's in really nice clothes, a sign, and your name on it, okay? So you're like, hey, that's me. You get inside of a limo, and they start to take you to the headquarters in D.C. You're saying, what headquarters? You get outside the limo, and you look up, and there you are standing at the headquarters of Mars Chocolate North America, right? Amen, okay? You, you're like, okay, what? You go inside and you, they uh, welcome you. They take you into this meeting where there's a bunch of important people dressed up in business clothes. They're all sitting around. They welcome you into the room. You sit down and a man stands up. And when he stands up, this is what he says to you. Upon the death of your great uncle Frank, we must inform you that you are now majority shareholder and heir to the chocolate throne. <sighs> right? I mean, first thing you're thinking is, okay, then somebody bring me some peanut M&Ms, right? Because that's the best M&Ms. I mean, unless you're allergic to peanuts. But uh, I, that bring me something, right? But in that moment, I'm what? You completely change the way you think about yourselves. In that moment, now, the way other people think about you is completely changed. Your life right in front of you for the rest of your life, right in front of you is changed in that very moment. It's completely different. Now, the Apostle Paul, okay? Paul wrote a letter. In fact, Paul, he was a lawyer. He was a student of the law. And you can see that as you kind of un unpack the book of Ephesians and see how he writes. And he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus that we have preserved for us today. And he writes this letter to the church of the Ephesians to tell them who they really are and the inheritance that they have discovered and have access to because they are a part of the family of God. So as we study the book of Ephesians, understand what the Apostle Paul was attempting to do. Teach the Ephesians who they really are. Now before we uh, even dive into some of those implications that uh, have to do of discovering really some out of this world uh, uh, truths about who we are, I want us to define a few words, okay, and, and uh, clarify who Paul is talking to because it'll help us to understand some of the verses that we're looking at today. Uh, there is a, a theological viewpoint on soteriology, which I'm not trying to use big words this morning, but soteriology is just the doctrine of salvation, okay? But there's a specific theological viewpoint on the doctrine of salvation that takes biblical words like chosen, predestinate, elect, foreknowledge, or before the foundation of the world, uh, terms in which we believe, okay? These are biblical terms. We believe in these terms. We're not shying away from these terms, but they'll take those terms and they'll separate them from Scripture as a whole 
and build a body of definitions and a framework of logic around those words and definitions and then come back to scripture and interpret scripture through the lens of that logic, okay? That for, just so we know, that's not how we approach interpreting scripture. We don't take a logic outside of scripture and then interpret scripture through the lens of that logic. We, uh, we take scripture and understand scripture from scripture, okay? We t- take it in context of, of, and if you were a part of our uh, growth point class at the beginning of last year when we really looked at how we uh, interpret the Bible, you take it, the verse uh, in, in the context of its chapter, in the context of its book, in the context of its testament, in the context of the Bible. Okay, you do that first prior to ever using human logic or definitions to interpret scripture, okay? When they do this, when, when some of the people who hold this theological view do this and define these words outside of scripture, then come to scripture with them, they have to rewrite or completely redefine uh, words in certain verses or completely disregard certain verses. And really, they have to do kind of a lot of linguistic gymnastics to make verses say what they do not say, all right? What, uh, what, what I mean by that is, uh, well, for, let me just say this. We don't want to do that, okay? We want to take Scripture uh, and go at these words and at this passage in the broad context of the New Testament and of the entire Bible. And I believe, I believe the reason that some do this, and specifically the, the tension that they're trying to reconcile, uh, is God's sovereignty and man's free choice. Okay, that's really the tension. Uh, if you remember in our growth point class, we talked about there's a lot of tensions in the Bible that seem like contradictory ideas, like God's love and forgiveness and mercy. That, uh, that seems to completely contradict God's holiness and justice and having to pour judgment out on sin, but those are reconciled in the man, Jesus Christ, okay? We, we talked a little bit about that. And, and there are these seeming tensions in the Bible that we can't fully reconcile in our minds because we're finite and we are confined to time and space, but God is not. He is outside of time and above time and outside of space. He created all things, and so in God's economy, these tensions make perfect sense, and to us, we try to fully reconcile them, and I, I believe that's why certain people come to certain theological viewpoints on it is because they're trying to reconcile two ideas that seem to contradict. Uh, but what we need to do, okay, what we need to do is be okay with the fact that uh, there are two truths that exist that we cannot necessarily fully reconcile. Uh, this side of heaven, okay? We need to come to that conclusion uh, and be able to accept two truths that exist that we cannot fully reconcile. I, it, it's like the Trinity, right? We, no one can explain the Trinity, but we know it's true because the Bible tells us it's true. And, and you look at verses that, uh, that show us that doctrine of the Trinity. We, we know it's true. And there seems to be this tension in the scripture between whether God is fully sovereign, that means fully in control, and whether man has free will or free choice to choose him for salvation, okay? Uh, there seems to be a, a tension between those things. And like I said, it's hard for us to reconcile because we're confined to time and space. We're mortal, but God is not. And so in God's economy, it makes perfect sense that salvation is extended to anybody and everybody, even though he knows who is going to choose him, okay? Uh, and, and somehow, in God's economy, his foreknowledge of your choice, knowing your choice, and my choice, and anybody else's choice, God's foreknowledge of knowing that choice, 
does not in any way diminish the validity of the choice. Okay, that, that's, uh, I want us to get a full Bible context to some of these words because I, I really think it'll help us when we get to, especially verses four, five, and six, see some great truths, okay? So some of these words, election, chosen, predestination. Some would suggest that those who are saved or not saved is predetermined by God. That God has chosen some who will be saved and that Christ's sacrifice was for the few who are chosen, but that it actually isn't available to everybody. Some people would hold to that theological view. But to fully believe this, you have to completely disregard certain verses in Scripture. Uh, and, and you have to, or you have to redefine the words in Scripture to make them fit your framework of logic. Here are some verses, if you're taking notes and you want to look at them later, I'm going to mention them and, and read them, that seem to go against that specific view that God picks and chooses and it's all predetermined who will choose, okay? First uh, Timothy 2, 4. Jesus, uh, it says, who, Jesus, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth, okay? Question, is the word all inclusive or exclusive? That's a question. Inclusive, right? It's not exclusive like pulling someone out. That's inclusive all, okay? First uh, John 2, 2. And he, Jesus, is the propitiation, okay, uh, for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, okay? Whole world seems pretty inclusive, okay? Second uh, Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, all right? Luke 14, 23, Jesus, talking about the kingdom, gives a parable about a marriage supper and asking certain people to come, and some people choose not to come. They give excuses for why they are not going to come, okay? Eventually, the Lord says unto the servant, Luke 14, 23, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Anyone you can find, bring them in, okay? Titus 2, 11 says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. So, what, I, what I'm simply trying to, and if you want more verses or you want to talk about any of this later on, I'm free to, I, I'd love to, but there are so many other verses that give us the concept that salvation is very inclusive. It is very available to all men, anybody uh, to, has the choice to be saved or not, okay? And we need to be careful that we don't, like some theologians, uh, uh, be careful that we don't exclude large portions of Scripture, Okay, by following a logic that is built from small portions of Scripture. Uh, so, so some of those words that mean chosen or elect or predestined don't mean, necess- they can't mean based upon the full context of Scripture that God only chooses some and, and has created purposefully some people to go to hell. Okay, uh, Because he has created the gospel and we're going to un- uh, look at it uh, even a little bit more in Ephesians Today, uh, he has made it before the foundation of the world that through Jesus, all, uh, it is available to all, okay? Uh, another uh, word is foreknowledge, or before the foundation of the world. The word foreknowledge, meaning God's divine knowledge of all that will come to pass. There are two different ways you could look at foreknowledge, okay? One, the biblical uh, perspective of foreknowledge would be this. If I were to say, tomorrow, 
that the bank is going to get robbed at 2 p.m. Okay, if I just said that statement, tomorrow the bank is going to be robbed at 2 p.m., biblical foreknowledge would mean this. I know that because I have divine knowledge of all that will come to pass. Okay, another way to define foreknowledge, uh, and specifically one way that people would define foreknowledge would be this. I know the bank is going to get robbed tomorrow at 2 p.m. because I'm going to rob the bank tomorrow at 2 p.m., okay? That is, that is how some would define foreknowledge. To mean foreknowledge and predestination or predetermined plan are, are one and the same. But if that is the case, if those words are synonymous, then that makes verses like Romans 8.29 that says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. If they're synonymous, that verse actually means whom he did predestinate, he also did predestinate. You see how that doesn't make sense? Okay, so uh, God's foreknowledge uh, isn't, uh, I want to offer this to you, but you can't actually receive it because you aren't elect. I have chosen to not regenerate you in order to be able to receive this. Uh, It is, you can receive this freely. I know whether you will or not, because I have divine knowledge of all that will come to pass, but you really do have a choice and an opportunity to receive this. So when, when you evaluate Scripture, really all of that to say this, when you evaluate Scripture, you come to the question uh, of predestination, chosen, all of these things. Did I choose salvation or did God choose me? Okay, and the answer is this, yes. <laughs> I chose him and he chose me and he chose me before I chose him, okay? Uh, and, and he knew I was going to cho- choose him. And, uh, and somehow in the middle of all that, I still had a choice, is that clear as mud, right? Okay, <laughs> it's a true, it, it, we have to come to the, uh, the conclusion that both truths have to be true. Uh, and, and another way that some would uh, approach this would be that the way the, or, the order in which salvation takes place. Uh, from scripture we see that it is hearing, then believing, then regeneration. Not regeneration, then hearing, then believing. Uh, Romans chapter 9, 10, 11 really unpack a lot of this for us. And cha- uh, a lot of people look at chapter 9 and say, uh, see, God regenerates you. Then you hear the gospel and now you're able to believe because he regenerated you. But then they completely disregard the next chapter, which says this in chapter 10, that you're saved by calling on Jesus to save you. Remember, for with the heart man believes and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Uh, and, then he's, and then that chapter says, how can they call on someone that they don't believe in? How can they believe without hearing? How can they hear without someone telling them? And then it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the order in which it tells us in Romans 10 that it takes place is someone tells, you hear, you believe, then you call on Jesus, and in that moment you are regenerated, made alive, saved, and sealed with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And in the context of our passage, Ephesians, that's how it took place. Uh, Acts chapter 19, you go to Acts chapter 19, the people of Ephesus who Paul is now writing to, when he shows up on a third missionary journey, he disputed and persuaded uh, concerning the gospel and concerning the things of Christ. Disputed and persuaded are words that would be used to describe something you would do if someone had a will or choice, okay, to be persuaded. Uh, you, you fully lay out the word of God, someone hears it, they respond in belief and are saved. And Paul told the Ephesians the word of God, they believed, and if you go to Acts 19, some chose not to believe, okay? Uh, and those that chose to believe were given the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 19. And the reason we need to know that and kind of define some of that is because that is, that is the backdrop for what we're about to dive into with, 
what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. He is writing to people who have already, from the context of Scripture, chosen to believe in Jesus' work, not their own, for salvation. Okay? And so everything that he's about to say to these Ephesian Christians, to these Ephesian believers, is because of your belief in Jesus Christ, you have all of these things. And the most important thing I want us to catch through our, through our passage is we are all these things in Christ, okay? Uh, because of Christ, by Jesus, are many of the ways it says. Jesus, okay, Jesus is the elect one, Isaiah 42, and because we are in him, we are elect. Jesus is the elect one, and because we are in him, we are elect. Uh, God chose his son Jesus, and when we chose to believe and accept Jesus' work on the cross, we were placed into him, making us chosen, okay? So, uh, what then, uh, when we placed our faith in, and trust in Jesus Christ, what then are we? Okay, that's what I want us to see as we unpack the next few verses in these next few moments, okay? The first thing I want us to see is this. In verses one and two, we see that in Christ, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we are a saint. Say this with me. I am a saint. Say it. I am a saint, okay? I am a saint. You are theologically spiritually and positionally a saint, not a sinner in Christ, okay? Uh, do we know what a saint is, okay? Let's define saint because some, some, some of us would say, well, my mother's a saint. My grandmother's a saint, right? And what we mean by that is they do uh, really great things for us. They make us cookies. They, you know, we, we say they're, they're just very nice person. They're a saint, okay? And then some people's context of the word saint might be uh, from a Roman Catholic background, which would uh, make them think of a painting or a statue of someone who never sinned, okay? Uh, the, the qualifications in a Roman Catholic background uh, for saint would be this, that you're dead five years, so that means none of us in here can be saints, okay, because we're still alive, dead five years, proven heroic virtue, they've done something so grand and heroic that it's noticeable, okay, and then that they have two verified proven miracles, okay, and I only have one in my life right now, so I can't be a saint yet, no, I'm just teasing, uh, we, we, those are the qualifications of a Roman Catholic saint, okay, here's the thing, neither of those definitions of saint are in scripture, None of, neither of those are in scripture. A saint, scripturally, is this, someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, this verse here that says, to the saints at Ephesus, and, or yeah, the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, Paul isn't telling us there are two different types of people in Ephesus, that there are the saints in Ephesus and there are the faithful in Christ Jesus. The words, the faithful in Christ Jesus is simply saying this, and the people who have put their full faith in Jesus Christ, okay? So what he's saying is, it, it's really all one statement, to the saints at Ephesus who have put their full faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's the definition of a saint, those who have put their full faith in Christ. You are a saint, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you are a saint by declaration, not by uh, earn, you did not earn sainthood, okay? You cannot earn sainthood. Uh, you are a saint by declaration when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And we need to understand this because, uh, because if we see ourselves primarily as sinners and not saints, we will uh, often act the way that we see ourselves, okay? 
it's often said this way, and I'm not against saying it this way. I've said it this way, and will probably in the future say it this way. So don't hold it against me if I say it this way at a future time. But it's often said, well, we're all just sinners saved by the grace of God, right? We're all just sinners. We're all just sin-. And it's true, right? I, I know I sin, right? Do you sin? I know you sin. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> uh, we, we are sinners, okay? It is a true statement. But in the eyes of God, we are not sinners. We are saints. We are seen in the eyes of God as Jesus Christ himself. When we see ourselves primarily as sinners, we are looking at ourselves through the lens of what we do. But when we see ourselves as saints, how God sees us, we see ourselves through the lens not of what we do, but what we are in what Christ did on the cross. We're saints not because of anything that we have done, but because that is who we are declared to be in Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful? Man, we are saints. We're not sinners. Secondly, not only am I a saint, but say this with me, I am blessed I am blessed. I am rich. Not only am I a saint in Christ, but verse 3 tells us we are blessed. We are rich. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I am rich with blessings. We need to understand the wealth that we have in Jesus And some of you are like, okay, well, then where's all the money I'm supposed to have? No, 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 no. You're still thinking about the, like, uh, Mars chocolate inheritance, uh, physical blessings type thing. Did you read that verse with me? It didn't say uh, God has blessed us with all physical blessings in earthly places. It did not say that, okay? It said he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. So wait, I have to wait until I die to be rich? I have to wait until I'm in heaven, in the heavenly places, to find this wealth. No, here's the truth, and he says it in chapter 2. We are, as, as we are in Christ, already seated together with Christ in heavenly places. So when do we have access to the wealth of blessings? You have them right now. You have the, the you have, uh, you have access to that now uh, even as you live today. You, because of who you are in Christ, have all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What does that mean? That, again, we're, many times when we think of blessings, we think of the things that have to do with physical blessings, but spiritual blessings are like this. You have the ability to actually make your relationships work because of who you are in Christ. You have uh, the ability to sleep at night without freaking yourself out because you have peace. You have Uh, real love, true joy despite circumstances, true peace in the midst of turmoil, true patience, true gentleness. You have all of that available to you because of who you are in Christ. So we have access to that right now. We are blessed and we are rich in Christ with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And we're going to see that even more as we look at the next verses 7 through 14 next week of how rich we truly are in Christ, our inheritance in Christ. But we need to understand, I am a saint and I am blessed because of who I am in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, I am chosen. Say that with me. I am chosen. 
I am chosen. Verse 4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The world says that we are nothing more than a cosmic accident or a mistake. Uh, There is no divine plan because there is no divine. I mean, how could the stars and all that exist and your minuscule life mean anything? But this is the truth. We are not a mistake. We are created. We have been created and chosen by God. Before the foundation of the world, before you were born, before your great, 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 great grandmother was born, uh, you were chosen in him. It's hard to picture that fully because as as I said toward the beginning of the message, we're mortal and we view time as linear, past, present, and future. But God is outside time and above time and the only time he ever experiences time is when he inserts himself into the story as the man Jesus Christ. Uh, And that is when he experienced time as a man here on this earth. But uh, it, it says that he, outside of time, looked in time before the, uh, before the foundation of the world and, and chose, because of Jesus' work, it, it's very important you see the wording there, it says that he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, okay? It, it's not that he, as we talked about a moment ago, said, I'm going to pick that one and that one and that one and that one. Through the, through the, uh, he's, before the foundation of the world, he said, I am choosing Jesus, that in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, in Jesus, people can be chosen. That, that's, that's what he's saying, okay? That in Jesus I have chosen before the foundation of the world. What that tells us is that the plan of salvation, the plan of redemption, was not just some, uh, oh no, the, the, the man that I created sinned and now I have to find a way to redeem him. No, that, that before even creating man, God in his divine foreknowledge saw what was going to take place and said, I'm going to make a way through my son that people would be able to be redeemed. Before the foundation of the world, we have been chosen. It's saying God responds to uh, our choice. Uh, God chooses those who choose him. God would choose anybody that would choose him. Anybody has the ability to choose him. Not everyone will, but everyone could. And it says that we are chosen, okay, for a purpose. So you continue the grammar of the statement. It doesn't just say you're chosen for salvation. He says you are chosen that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We are chosen to be holy and without blame. So God chose us before the foundation of the world that those who place their faith in Christ would be holy and without blame before him. You are in God's economy holy and without blame. This is who you are. You are already defined as holy in eternity's judgment hall. Isn't that awesome? That uh, before God, he sees you and he doesn't see what you've done. He sees, if you've accepted Jesus Christ's gift, what Jesus has done. And so before him and in eternity's judgment hall, you are holy and blameless, without blame. You, you are holy and without blame. That is who you are. You are already defined as that, which means that the struggles on planet Earth that we have are not your struggles to become who God wants you to become, but rather actually struggles to, uh, to act or, or behave like who you already are, okay? Uh, we are chosen to live a holy, a different, a set-apart lifestyle in the workplace, in our families, and in life in general, and we are chosen before the foundation of the world to be 
that way in Jesus Christ. I am a saint. I am blessed. I'm chosen. But notice in verse 5 also this. I am adopted. I'm adopted. Verse 5 says, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Uh, a, a good, again, we see that we are chosen or predestinated to something. It has been predetermined that those who choose Christ are adopted. Predestination is a statement of security and promise, of assurance, uh, not one that limits free will, free will or restricts salvation to a select few. It, it is a, a word of promise and security that God already foreordained that you could be adopted. He's predetermined us, those who have accepted Christ, to be adopted into his family by what Jesus did. Now, what is adoption? I love this definition. Listen to this definition of adoption. To formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child. To formally and legally declare that someone who is not one's own child is henceforth to be treated and cared for as one's own child. That is so good. That because of God's foreordained plan that in Jesus we could be adopted into his family, that as it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, that Jesus be, would become the firstborn of many brethren, okay, that he would be our brother, we are adopted into the family, and that we, because of that, would henceforth be, uh, be treated and cared for as if we are Jesus. Does that make sense? Like that is, wow. If you really understand the um, implications of that, that is amazing to know that we are now, from, from the moment we place faith in Jesus Christ, henceforth and forever, to be treated as, as and cared for as if we are God's own child. And really, if you think about it like that, it makes you ask the question, why did he pick me? <laughs> why did he adopt me? And, and uh, I love it because the verse says it this way. It says, he picked you according to the pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. Why did he pick me? Because he wanted to. He wanted to. He picked me because he is not willing that any should perish, that but that all should come to repentance. That is what the Bible says his will is, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so he chose you because he wanted to. It was according to his will that all should come to repentance and come to know him as Christ. What a humbling and encouraging truth that we are adopted and from that moment, henceforth and forever to be cared for and treated as a son or a daughter of God himself. I am adopted. And then notice with me lastly, I am, verse six, accepted. I am accepted. Verse six says, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. By his grace, we are accepted. We are often told uh, in this world, uh, really, by, that the only way to be accepted is by doing good things. <laughs> this tells us just the opposite. Uh, what can I do to make myself more accepted with God? My friend, you are already accepted. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is not, now what can I do to become more acceptable in the sight of God? It is, you are already acceptable. You are already accepted. 
Who you really are, what this means is who you really are has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with Jesus. In his grace, he made us acceptable. And uh, when I think about it in even my own life, I think I know enough about myself to know I'm not acceptable. And yet, in the eyes of God, he looks at me because of who I am in Christ and says, perfectly acceptable. Perfectly acceptable. Now, that's a lot of high and lofty ideals of who we are in Christ, okay? Theological, doctrinal truths of who we are is really what we just talked through. What are some practical and real ways that that can change our lives, okay? Oftentimes, if we look at the world, we can find denominations, churches, pastors, and everyday Christians fighting over spiritual blessings. What I mean by that is we're more holy than they are because we hold these certain kinds of standards. We are more accepted by God because of what we do and they don't do that and they do that. That's definitely not accepted by God and, and so we're more accepted. And you see all of this kind of, uh, this comparative and competitive mindset naturally start to take place when we think of each other in that sense or we think of ourselves in that sense. But when we see these out of this world blessings for what they are, a spiritual buffet, we find out we don't have to compete and compare for the spiritual blessings. Think of it this way. Um, has anyone ever been to a CC's Pizza? Anybody? They're not up here in Washington. Man, you guys are missing out on mac and cheese pizza and cinnamon rolls. So how about Golden Corral? Anyone been to a Golden Corral? Okay, a few of you have been to Golden Corral. Anyone, any buffet you've been to, think about it this way, okay? If I'm there at a buffet with Rebecca and I get something on my plate and she ends up taking a bite out of it like she always does, okay, of my own food, all right? It would be silly of me to go, I can't believe you took my mashed potatoes. Why? I'm at a buffet. Like, there are literally more mashed potatoes, right? Okay, there, there are, I can always go back and get more. I, I'm literally in a buffet. What, Ephesians 1, this week and next week, think of it this way. It is a spiritual buffet, okay? And if I'm blessed and chosen and adopted and accepted, then that rewrites everything about who I am. And so instead of having to compete for or worse yet, strangle others and the world to get what my heart needs in acceptance, you can rest in the fact that you have what your heart needs in Christ. I don't have to compete. Oh, I need to be more acceptable than them and, and all of this. I, I, I don't need that. Why? Because I'm already accepted in the beloved. I am already accepted and adopted into the family of Jesus. And it no longer matters whether that person accepts me because God accepts me. I, I don't have to have my hair the way they say I do. You don't even have to have hair, okay, to be accepted because I am accepted by God. I don't have to say or do certain things in a certain way to gain acceptance from others. And I don't have to force others to give me acceptance because I understand the spiritual buffet of blessings in heavenly places that I have inherited. I have some out-of-this-world blessings. I am a saint, not a sinner. I am blessed. I am chosen. I am adopted. I am accepted. And take those statements, write them down, circle, highlight, mark them in your Bible, and thank God 
for all that you are in Christ. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.